Welcome to In Context and Culture, a podcast hosted by pastors Corey Majors and Trent Roseman, intended to clarify and comment on critical issues pertaining to theology, the Bible, and life in the church. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to In Context and Culture. Uh, You're joining me, Trent Roseman, and my good friend and partnership in the gospel, Corey Majors. What, what? I serve um, here at First Baptist Tampa as the next generation pastor, overseeing our student ministry, our college ministry, as well as some connections that we make with first-time guests. Uh, Corey, why don't you just explain who you are real fast, and then we'll get to the topic of today. Uh, I am the pastor at West Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas, and uh, just being a simple pastor and shepherd of this congregation, uh, trying to faithfully follow the Lord. And so that's what I, that's where I am and what I do. So West Baptist Church, not Westboro Baptist Church. Correct. In fact, a fun fact for you, if um, you look up West Baptist Church, unfortunately, that's usually one of the first things that pops on Google is Westboro. And so like sometimes we have people that comment on our Facebook t- page and tell us how horrible we are. We have in the past anyway. Um, I'm actually going to Google it right now. Keep going. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so like we have to explain uh, that's not us. And so... Uh, yeah, that's unfortunate uh, name change. And, and another fun fact for you is uh, we've been kind of rewriting our uh, constitution and found out that um, the original name uh, of our church, whenever it was planted in 1909, was the West Batesville Missionary Baptist Church of Christ. And so, like, <laughs> you got like just, four different denominations there, right? It's just like this theological soup thing that happened, and I like I don't know. And funny thing is, like, as we were looking in the minutes of old constitutions, uh, one of the constitution is only one, like from the nineties, um, said something about we hold to the tenets of the missionary Baptist denomination, which. To my knowledge, this has always been a Southern Baptist church because it was planted from a Southern Baptist church, and so uh, no way. Yeah, it's so just how, really. So where bizarre. did that mix up come from? No idea. And like, uh, even our church clerk, who's kind of the one that keeps track of all those old constitutions and stuff, she had no idea. And so, but it was just in the one, and but in the midst of that one that said that said that they held to the tenets of the Missionary Baptist denomination, it said that our statement of faith was the Baptist faith and message of the Southern Baptist Convention. I can confirm that when I Google West Baptist Church, the first one that pops up is Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> yeah, it's really unfortunate. We've actually had Westboro Baptist Church visit uh, First Baptist Tampa, um, mm-hmm. as well as many other churches in our area. Uh, it was during a certain time frame before I arrived here, and um, I heard it was pretty interesting. They were standing outside, and the police came just to kind of watch things, and um, there's some pictures I've heard uh, that we have of that, but that was, as I said before, I got here. So. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but whenever we were, you were with me on a mission trip in Arlington, I think. Did you go to Arlington with yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. We saw them, didn't we? Yeah, we saw them. They were protesting a funeral. Uh, they were on the sidewalk across the street from a church. That's and they right. Were, and they like, you remember, like they had, like they were dressed up in like weird costumes of like, I think one of them was like a life-size bunny rabbit or something. Like it was the most bizarre thing ever. And, so, and it was for sure Westboro? I'm pretty, I'm, 
about 90% sure it was. I mean, that's been a decade ago, so I mean, my memory could be a little foggy, but I'm pretty sure it was. I mean, they're not bizarre at all. I'd be surprised for them to do any bizarre things. I mean, Fred Phelps, just not bizarre at all. Y yeah, right. And um, <laughs> so, just, I don't know. But yeah, that is not who we are. Just want to make that clear up front. That is not who we are. We do not associate with nor find kinship with uh, Westboro Baptist Church. Not um, in any way, shape, or form. We have a different understanding of the gospel and grace of Christ. So, hey, Corey, uh, great segue to start us out into our topic. We're going to be talking about uh, eldership in particular, uh, a word that doesn't find um, uh, itself often in Baptist conversations. But I think it would, it would just be well to note that it used to, the beginning of the Southern Baptist Convention with its first president and uh, notes that are documented where he talked about the elders uh, from each church. So um, just recently, your church uh, has transitioned from a, uh, I think I would say probably a single pastor-led model, maybe some other pastors on staff, but a single pastor-led model, senior pastor, to now a elder-led model. Well, yeah, we're, we're still, kind of still in progress. So, so what has happened is, is that we, uh, in January, after uh, a long process, uh, voted as a church to move to an elder-led model. And right now, what we're doing is we're in the process of uh, rewriting our constitution to allow for that because there wasn't anything in our documents that would uh, indicate that we were elder-led or give provision for having a plurality of elders. And so, uh, yeah, the process has been pretty interesting because it really started with me taking about six guys um, through a book called Elders in the Life of the Church. So I, t I took these guys, took me about probably 10 months to take them through that. We'd met, we'd meet once occasionally. I don't even remember what the, what the timeline was there, but it took us a while to get through it and had discussion about it. And uh, after that, we felt like it was significant enough that uh, I should take it before our deacons. And that's kind of how our church had been set up is a single um, senior pastor uh, and then with a deacon body. And uh, so I began that process of taking them through it. And it took uh, a year uh, to take them through it. And then I began to preach some sermons. I think I preached a series of six or eight sermons over elders was able to have a couple of town hall meetings with our congregation so topical then, sermons over yeah. elders throughout the new testament yeah gotcha. and just kind of what their role is like where they're seen in scripture what their role is in the congregation how that functions how plurality of elders functions in a congregational setting um and um, then like i said in january of I don't, man, I tell you, this year has so messed me up with COVID that I'm not sure if we voted this January or last January. But anyway, <laughs> I think it was this January. And so it's still in the process, and we've just gotten back. Our Constitution team has been meeting to try to, uh, to get through that process. So Elders in the Life of the Church was the book you mentioned. That's by Matt Schmucker and Phil Newton. Uh, I have not read the book. I have it on my shelf. It's one that I want to read. Um, so you talked about uh, the fact that you went through the process with six guys and then began to introduce it um, as um, something that you saw as biblical, um, something is, that you saw as a proper way of understanding how the local church is to be led. 
And then after walking through with those guys, introducing it to the church with kind of that team of guys that you entrusted, how was it received? And uh, well, even before how it was received, let's get to that in a minute. Why, why hadn't there been, if, if elders were the right model, the biblical model, um, where did senior pastor come about? And, and is that always what West Baptist Church was? You want, do you want to go into any of that? Yeah, interestingly, like the the church that planted us was First Baptist Batesville, and interestingly, whenever we were planted, um, the the documents and the history of the church shows that a presbytery of both elders and deacons are the ones that decided that they would plant this church here. But as far as I can see in the history of the church, um, it has always been a senior pastor kind of model and so I'm not sure what transitioned uh, in that process and uh, why exactly that happened but that's kind of the way it was uh, is that it's always been a senior pastor-led church. So in a sense you're not this radical revolutionary individual coming to bring uh, the hammer down on what you think's right you're looking to the Bible and what is true and you're actually rediscovering uh, the history of your church in the process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how was that received as you're walking through that process? Well, I think um, a couple of different ways. I think some just a little apprehension because it was so foreign to what is normal um, for this part of the country in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, Now, maybe other parts of the country had Southern Baptist churches that had the plurality of elders and it was normal, but like here, that's kind of a foreign concept. Now, there was, there are a couple other churches, one of them being Southern Baptist, that um, it was planted within the last decade and they started out with an elder model, uh, which is not quite the same as what we're trying to implement here. I think it's a it's more of an elder rule, if you will, than an elder-led. I think there's a distinction there. And the elder-led model has the congregation as the final authority. But yeah, I mean, we're just trying to follow that biblical model. But it was received probably skeptical in some ways, but yet people were open to look into the scriptures and see what the scriptures said. And so that was very encouraging to me is that people didn't immediately dismiss it because we haven't ever done it that way before. They were open to looking in the scriptures and saying, all right, what does this really say about the way the church is supposed to be led? So searching the scriptures together, letting the scriptures be your final authority for life and even practice as the church, because God has created, designed, and organized his church in a particular way, um, we would say. So um, without that being the case, I mean, how, how do you tell someone or you know, why, why even go to the lengths of the possibility of being perceived in such a way? Why, why does this all matter? Like, why is it so important to be elder-led? Does, does God really care about whether you're senior pastor-led? I mean, at the end of the day, right, it's, it's about what's most easy, efficient, and gets the ball rolling in the <laughs> ministry of your city, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I would. I, my first response to that would be, I'm not sure the Lord ever calls us to the thing that's the easiest. <laughs> um, and uh, so, you know, I guess in, in thinking about that, why would we, is because God in his wisdom said this is the way it's supposed to be. And if God is all wise, and he is, according to his word, then he is going to know the best way for his church to be led and governed. Mm-hmm. And so 
we have to defer in all things, not to what we feel, not to what is most pragmatic or easiest or any of that, but we always have to defer to the authority of Scripture as God's Word because He has given it to us. And I would say that the church is supposed to reflect who Christ is or or who God is. And so, you know, we see in Ephesians 5 where marriage is talked about as reflecting Christ in the church, right? And so there's this relationship between um, Christ in the church and Christ is the head and the church is supposed to submit to him in all things. Therefore, we are to submit to Christ even in the way that we govern ourselves as a church. And so it's important because we don't want to be going rogue and doing our own thing. Now, with that being said, I don't think I don't think that churches are senior past that are senior pastor led only are somehow sinning or outside the the will of God uh, and that kind of thing. I just think that whenever we're looking at Scripture, there are reasons God has set up His church to have a plurality of elders. You want to speak to that? Like, what what do you think in in that regard as well? You know, in relationship to churches that are just senior pastor led as opposed to plurality of elders. A couple things here. So we we would believe that the Bible is inerrant. It is infallible. It is sufficient for life, godliness, and faithful practice. So not only is the Word able to make us wise into salvation, it tells us about the character of God, and it tells us how to live as Christians in the world. Now, there's some institutions that God has created and designed, the church being extremely important to God. I mean, he laid down his life for his church. Uh, When the gospel went out, the church was formed, and all throughout the New Testament, you have letters written to churches, though they're experiencing difficult times, um, though they're experiencing heresy, uh, they're supposed to stay as the church. And one way in which they're to uh, come around one another, to avoid uh, heretical teaching, is to obey the commands given them by God for even their leadership structures. God has not only launched the church, he has designed the church. And the way that he's designed it is not descriptive of what was, but should be, as I think, prescriptive of what should be. So when we look at the church as described in the New Testament, we do see two leadership offices. We see elders and deacons. That's not to say that there isn't room for um, other um, people to be on a, a church staff per se, but a church without those two is not uh, obeying the way that the Lord has set up his church. Now, for the senior pastor models, let's talk about this for just a minute and help me out with this because guys on this podcast, I'm obviously much younger and uh, not as wise as my friend Corey here, but um, when Paul went around and planted churches, there was a time difference when he planted the church um, that he uh, the church had been formed, gospel had been preached, people believed, they gathered together, they covenanted together and what it means to continue preaching the truth, praying together, and then he would come back through that city later on in some cases and acts and then appoint elders. So a church can exist without elders. It's not what God intends it to be for any length of time really, but a, a church can exist without elders. I don't know that I can point to a church in the, or in the New Testament that just says, hey, there was one elder. However, because I would say that the Bible tells us that elders are gifts of God in the local church to serve the local church, but you know, I, I, there's no place in part of Scripture where we could say, oh, one is not enough either. 
per se. Uh, right. They're just always plural, and there's a reason they're plural, and we'll get to that. So not only do we obey God's command simply because they're God's commands, but we do believe that God's commands lead to flourishing. Here's an example of that. Uh, our young adults just had a conversation about um, Black Lives Matter movement and organization, and one thing that in the statement of faith or the what we believe section of the Black Lives Matter movement and organization is they want to um, if I remember correctly, and I don't have it in front of me, they want to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family. Now, what they mean by that is the nuclear family at, as it is described by God as one mother, one father, and, you know, if God blesses that family children. They do not mention fatherhood. In fact, they don't mention fathers in all of their what they believe. They only mention mothers. Why is that so bad? Well, first off, because God commanded there to be uh, a father and a mother in the in the regular practice of a family, right? What, you know, we can account for sin of, of divorce, and we can account for sin of abandonment and abuse and all those different types of things, but what God designed the family to be is a, a faithful mother and father operating together and loving one another in a, uh, in a picture of the gospel. Now hear me, not only should we obey that because it's a command, but we should obey that because we believe that the Lord's commands are good and lead to human flourishing. We see statistically that when a father is removed from the home in uh, any family, poverty goes up an astronomical amount. Uh, the percentage for poverty, I don't have the exact figures in front of me, but I had them two days ago in front of me. The percentage of poverty with a mother and father in a white home is 3.3% in 2018. It was 7% for a black family in 2018. However, if you remove the father from the home in either a black family or a white family, the percentage of poverty increases nearly seven times as much as it would be if the father was present in the home. It's not as if God didn't design this thing for good reason, right? right? So in the same way, I know that went, was a, a huge different direction, but in the same way, we agree that God's commands have reason. They're not just random. Uh, we don't obey them with the understanding that it, it is just simply to obey and it's not good, right? His commands are good. So um, when he commands there to be a plurality of leadership, or he designs a plurality of leadership, he commands it for the benefit of the church and for the benefit of the individuals on leadership, because each man is sinful. And and sometimes there are uh, loads that are extremely difficult for one man to bear uh, upon himself, even in the context of one even small local church. I mean, think, for example, uh, Moses, right? And uh, who comes up to Moses? Is it his, uh, help me out, is it his father-in-law? It is, comes Jethro. Up to Moses. Yeah. So, there you go, Jethro's father-in-law. <laughs> Took me a second there. Uh, and says, basically, hey, you're doing way too much and trying to give an answer to everyone who comes up to you. Right. right? Appoint people um, to help you in leadership. And that's not a perfect example of New Testament church leadership, but um, diversifying leadership and plurality of leadership is a good godly thing that should lead to the flourishing of churches. Yeah, so. in fact, that's the very first sermon I preached was that passage over um, nice. uh, Moses and Jethro, just to, talking about that plurality of leadership and how beneficial that is. So so let's, um, let's explore it. And one thing I just want to reiterate here again, we've already said this, but I think it's important that we're not trying to um, throw shade on, on the senior pastors that, ju that are just have one senior pastor or one elder, if you will, in least. a church. Um, we're just trying to look and say, hey, what are, 
what does God, what would he have us do in the church and why is that beneficial to the church? And so let, let's talk about like, what are some of can those I put, dangers? Can I put something in there with that? Sure. If my, if my son was working in an organization um, and he was the sole leader of that organization and he was just um, working an extreme um, amount and an almost an unhelpful amount to both his family and he was kind of at wit's end with even being able to support the organization, I wouldn't chastise my son. I would say, hey, who's someone that can serve alongside of you? Right. Right. And so, yeah, I echo exactly what you say. Um, we don't not like senior pastors, right? You're a senior pastor, Corey. Yeah. We don't not like senior pastors. Uh, we want to see them thrive, and we want to see churches thrive. And so um, we want to advocate for uh, the blessings of, of other people that may be well-fit and well-suited within a congregation to help serve. So, so with that being said, uh, I, I want to start out on the positive side of, look, what do you see as some of the benefits of having uh, a plurality of elders in the church? So one of the things that I think elders are responsible for, one of many things, right, are to shepherd and care for their people. If we have one, a one-pastor model and um, there are two different people on their deathbed and the pastor happens to be out of town or is experiencing a family tragedy of his own, just in a practical note, uh, you've got other pastors whose duty it is given to them by God and expected by the church to care well for those individuals. You have more pastors, you can see more care happening. Right. And we want to care for our people. So that's just a practical note. Also, because every man is fallible, I think it's helpful when you're discussing doctrinal issues, um, especially doctrinal issues that could be maybe presently plaguing uh, the denomination or doctrinal issues that could be plaguing the uh, people amongst the congregation, uh, discussing that alongside of one who has the Holy Spirit and dwelt in them, uh, whose passion it is to see the people of God know the Word of God and defend the Word of God. Walking through that alongside of someone is a gift from God and extremely helpful. So, I mean, there's, there's two small things. I mean, I can think of a, a lot of things. When there's a big issue that is brought up, someone to, to be there alongside of you is good. Yeah. What would you add to that? Yeah, what you just said there was having someone alongside of you to kind of carry that with you is extremely important. I mean, especially in the context in which we live today. I mean, all the decisions that are having to be made about how we're going to do church, how we're going to reopen, th- those kind of things, that, that can weigh heavy. Uh, we talk about cultural issues, whether to address them, whether whether not to, and having wisdom from other people to speak into you so that you you don't stick your foot in your mouth or so you're not quiet when you should speak or so you don't speak when you should be quiet, all of those things, just to have somebody else with godly wisdom to to help you navigate the complexity of the culture today is is vital. Um, I think it's a protection. The plurality of elders would be a protection. I mean, I've got... um, I've got uh, Tyler who is on staff with me. He's our youth pastor. And I, I can't tell you how many times he and I go into one another's office during a given day and just say, hey, what about this or what about that? And just can work as a team rather than feeling like you're on an island all by yourself. Because, mm. man, ministry can be very lonely if you're not careful. As much as we're supposed to shepherd other people and be around the sheep and all of those kind of things, um, I, I've heard for years that, that pastoring can put you on an island. And if, if you don't work hard against that, that's exactly what will happen. We need to make sure we have those other guys with us 
for that purpose. Yeah, so would you say on a practical note, you think a helpful way to avoid pastoral burnout is diversifying the weight of what it means, the weight that a pastor carries amongst other pastors? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Hey, let's talk about New Testament church leadership. So we've already discussed elders and maybe gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves there for a minute because maybe someone comes up and says, I've never heard of that, elders. I've always been a part of this church or that church, this denomination or that denomination. We have a pastor or we have deacons. You know, what does the Bible say about New Testament church leadership? So let's just talk about that a minute. Where do you see the Bible talk about church leadership? Oh, gosh, there's lots of places. Uh, Acts chapter 20. Uh, where Paul calls together the Ephesian elders uh, before he okay. says goodbye. Um, so that assumes that there's already elders in Acts chapter 20 because right. he calls them. Yeah. Right. Of course, you see in First uh, Peter 5 where he talks about the elders. He exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock of God. So um, elders that already exist that he commands to do a certain thing. Right. James 5, I can think of, I'm just going to add in here maybe a little bit. James 5, call upon the elders to, to visit the sick and pray. Yeah. Uh, lay hands on an individual and pray. What about the, the two passages, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, mm-hmm. uh, where it mentions the leadership of the church, the qualifications for those leaders to be able to be in that office. Like, you you know, there's a famous phrase that basically says, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. But when it, as it comes to church leadership, you're not called into a certain specific church leadership position, a.k.a. an elder or a deacon mentioned in 1 Timothy 3, unless you are qualified. Yeah. So what's the difference between elders and deacons? Before we get there, let me let me um, mention something else, which would be Go for it. whenever we're whenever we're talking about elders, uh, they're also sometimes uh, different translations called bishops, or okay. um, what's the what's the other one that's synonymous with that? Uh, elders, bishops, and overseers. Overseers, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And, and so, like all three of those are talking about the same office. Whenever we're whenever we're talking about this subject, and you might go to a particular passage and and say, well, that doesn't say overseers, or it doesn't say elders necessarily. It could use one of those other uh, terms and mean the same thing. So First Peter five one through two, Peter uses three word groups to ref, to refer to uh, one leadership office, and that's exactly what you're talking about. First Peter five one through two. So it says, so I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So three particular terms in that passage that you could point out as elders, shepherds, overseers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So elder, overseer, shepherd. The office at hand, however, is the elders, the office of an elder is given the task of overseeing the people of God in a local church. And shepherding is the prescribed method and visual description of how an elder is to instruct and faithfully oversee those that they're held accountable for. So this isn't three different positions. This is one position that often different denominations have coined to say, hey, this is what we're going to call our leadership structures. Right. Now, we, uh, of course, in our denomination feel as if the, the leadership structure you know, they might have, so an, a, a Presbyterian church might use the term elder, but they might define what an elder looks like a little bit different than what we define them look like. And so I think when we started to grab our terms, maybe as even Baptists, we kind of shied away from elders because that, well, that's a Presbyterian thing right. or, or something like that. So maybe we're fearful 
of calling something what it is because of the wrong way we feel someone else is using that. Whether we call it sin or not, just a different way they use it, we wouldn't use it. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there, even whenever we were going through the process here, there's a preconception of what elder is based on what people have seen somewhere else. Exactly. Rather than going to the scripture and saying, what is an elder? But I think it's important to use the term because if you if you use something other than elders, um, say maybe we're going to, you'd, you'd say we're going to set up a leadership team in our church or something like that, then you have to then go and define that term and why you're using that as as opposed to something that's seen in Scripture. And so, like, I think biblical terminology is important to use because it carries a significant meaning, and, and there, was a, there was a meaning that the author intended to begin with in that. Yeah, and so if you, if you were to have, you know, your church members search the Scriptures on the, in their own personal time, as we ought to encourage them to do, right? Uh, and they keep seeing this term elders, and they're like, I don't think we have any elders, but they never see the term pastors. Uh, you know, they're confused as to uh, who they should submit to in the life of the local church. Right. Because they'll get to a passage that says, submit to your leaders, and it's talking about in a, in, in a church context. Well, well, who's the elder that I submit to? And so when they see the word elder, oh, they, they're talking about Corey. Oh, they're talking about Trent. Oh, they're talking about Bob or Darren or whoever, whoever it might be. So there's two different leadership offices seen in the local church, elder and deacon. How would you differentiate between those two offices? Well, as we've mentioned, uh, uh, elder is going to be for oversight and for shepherding uh, the local congregation. And a deacon is differentiated in the fact that their primary purposes is to, number one, serve the local congregation, help provide for what is needed, um, and also to maintain unity. So as whereas an elder would, would primarily care for the spiritual needs of the church, a deacon is going to look for more of the temporal, physical needs of the church uh, while helping to maintain the unity. And that's that doesn't mean that what deacons do is not spiritual or what elders do is not practical. It's just there's two different focuses there by those two groups. 